My guest is Paul Currington. He is a storyteller, a man of narration, a man of narratives. And as most storytellers will assure you, they have to put pen to paper and to write. And it was during this exercise of putting pen to paper that our friend Paul Currington discovered that there were a lot of unresolved issues that he didn't quite know how to deal with. Issues that he couldn't even imagine bringing before an audience, let alone even those closest to him. He found himself perpetually winding up crying and not knowing what to do or how to confront his feelings or share them with strangers. A very particular important date was December the 1st, 2012, and that is the date that Paul Currington attempted to take his life. Paul, thank you for being with us. How did that come about? What triggered it in that moment was uh, uh, the the end of a long-term relationship. I was with someone for uh, a little over seven years, another year and a half or so, kind of back and forth. And when I realized um, we were not going to get back together and it was finally over, it became, in in this one evening, just the most, uh, the saddest and most terrifying. And I don't think I'd ever experienced that kind of hopelessness all at once. Can you and describe that evening? I mean, in, in, in particular, uh, the two-hour period, let's say, before you actually took the action to take your life, what was going on? I had seen my, my former girlfriend uh, that night, and she, had, she was dating someone else by this time. And I, I, think, I think it just hadn't occurred to me that that was ever going to be a possibility. I just assumed, well, we'll get back together. We'll move on. We've been together so many years. Uh, uh, previous to this, we'll just we'll work things out. And I, I think it wasn't until then that I had to accept that she really had moved on and she was moving on with her life, and I clearly had not. And at that time, I could not have envisioned uh, a future, a future at all, not just without her, but any kind of of, of future, especially at that age. Um, finding someone else. I was in my mid-40s at the time. And so in that moment, when I saw her with her new boyfriend accidentally, just, you know, on the street, it all, this um, this very fragile uh, future that I had built in my head for myself just completely fell apart. Had she disclosed and, to you, Paul, that she was, she was breaking up with you and, and going out with somebody else at that point? Well, we had broken up. I knew that. Mm-hmm. It was I just assumed that we would get back together, and we had been talking now and you know back and forth a little bit here and there. I had no idea she, that she had started dating someone. Ah, so uh, you it, heard it, the words, right. but you didn't accept few, the reality. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it had been a few weeks since we had spoken, and um, looking back now, I realized well that obviously why that she was seeing someone. That's why she didn't return my calls and texts right. and whatnot. And then, but emotionally, uh, it was unfathomable sudden, to you that she would do such a thing. Exactly, exactly. And looking back now, I, I can see how, how ridiculous that looks, especially as an adult. I wasn't a teenager, but I had put so much of my identity and so much of my, my future into this relationship to then realize absolutely unequivocally it is over now, that um, it was a tremendous shock. And, it, you know, I've never blamed her. It would, none of this was, was, was her fault. Um, you know, she had every right to go out and, and date someone else. We, were, I, we both understood that we were broken up. I just had not accepted that in my heart. And then the shock of seeing her with someone else 
it was I hope never to feel that way again. I'm pretty sure I'll never feel that way again. How did you act? But I mean, I, and, and I say this without any judgment, mm-hmm. because anyone who's ever been in love, well, I shouldn't say anyone, but many people who have been in love know the mechanics of extraordinarily unexpected emotions that can erupt. And you're out. Now, as I've had it indicated to me uh, by prior things that you've written and said, you, you were evidently stuck with these two persons in a room for 20 minutes or so and you could not escape. And so you, you witness your beloved with somebody else in another man's arms and yes, yes. you can't escape the situation. And so there's a what I would call a kind of a rational irrationality that takes place when you witness something like that. Walk us through that. What happened? Well, I was at a, uh, um, uh, a cafe in downtown uh, to hear some music. I just went there by myself to hear some, some music, and I was sitting in the back, and then she walked in with her, with her new boyfriend, and they were between me and the door. So I couldn't escape. I, couldn't, I, I would have just, if there had, been a, there had been a back door, I would have run out. Because immediately my heart started racing. I thought, oh, my God, what am I seeing? Did you feel that you were going to actually hurt them? No, 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 never. Okay. I, just, I just knew I was in pain. I, I, what I realized now is I was having a, a panic attack. Mm. And I had no, there was no desire to, to say anything to them, to, to do a no. I just realized, oh, my God, I've been living in this fantasy world for months, and it really is over. And all I wanted to do was escape which in a way is what suicide was. Like, I just want to end this emotional pain. I don't want to hurt. The only person I want to hurt was myself. Some I people, just wanted some to get people, out of that. Some people, Michael, will, uh, excuse me, some people, Paul, will argue that suicide is a, is a type of cowardness because of that very desire to escape. Do you see it that way, or do you see it as a totally uh, contrary different thing? No, it's really the, it's really the opposite, because most I feel most of the time, I mean, sometimes people do this on the spur of the moment, but I know because I've had, you know, I've managed depression all my life that, you know, I spent 30 years um, drawing from this well of, uh, of strength, of, of, oh, what would you call it? Uh, inner strength. I mean, every, what, you, what people don't see is every day you don't kill yourself takes like energy and drive and determination. They don't see that you've been fighting this fight for 30, 40, 50 years. Mm. And then and only then do you say, you know what, I'm done. That well of inner strength that I've been drawing on has finally run dry and I'm tired. You know, seven years later now uh, that I have a lot more tools and a lot more experiences, for me it's, it's been all these habits that I've built up over the last seven years so that I don't have to do this through just sheer willpower alone. That, to me, that's been the trick. There are things I have to do every day so that uh, I don't fall into those, those deep holes. And that's what are those from tricks? simple. Well, it's from simple stuff like uh, exercise, eating healthy, getting mm-hmm. enough sleep. And then there's the stuff that you actually takes a little more energy, like um, staying connected to people and not isolating yourself. Like one of the one of the most important things in my life has been this show, Fresh Ground Stories, that I run every month in Seattle, where I get on stage and I get people to to walk up to a microphone and 
tell stories, uh, true stories about things they've lived through. Have you ever listened to The Moth? Oh, yeah. Uh, my show is based on The Moth, and we, uh, we're part of the reason that The Moth has now come to Seattle. We were in Seattle before The Moth. Congratulations. So it's exactly that's like great. The Moth. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. The, the connection I have felt through the nine years I've been running this show, listening to people share stories a lot like mine. We get a lot of suicide stories, a lot of mental health stories, um, knowing that I'm not alone, like that I'm not weak. I'm not stupid. I'm not defective. Knowing that people in front of me, right in front of me, are telling these stories of, of, of recovery and transformation. And these people have amazing lives. They're successful. They're happy. They're, they're engaged in life. And they have been through the exact same thing I went through. Seeing this month after month, having just regular people, not comedians, not actors, just regular people share these stories has made me feel like, it's given me so much connection to the and, and that's been huge. That's been a huge part of my recovery. You remind me of a quote by Orson Welles, the director, who said, "The difference between a tragedy and a comedy is simply where you end the story." And we're so mm. glad you didn't end the story <laughs> uh, on one given evening, uh, no matter how horrific to see somebody you love in the arms of of somebody else. Have you ever heard this song by Burton Cummings called "Stand Tall"? No, I haven't. Oh, it's uh, it's a wonderful song. He used to be a member of the group, the 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 Guess Who, not the Who, but the Guess Who, a Canadian band. Oh, yes. And yes, it's a song about um, breaking up with somebody and wanting to kill yourself. And the line goes, "For God's sake, don't go and do something foolish. Stand tall." And it sounds very much, Paul, like like you did that. You're listening to a program called Watching America. I'm your host, Alan Campbell, and I have been speaking and I'm continuing to speak with Paul Currington, our current guest. He's a storyteller who works for a government agency in Seattle, Washington. But he's more than that. He's a writer, he's a, a, a narrator, and he's also an organizer and a producer of a spectrum of a show where people can come and talk about their life experiences, somewhat similar to The Moth. As a matter of fact, he's been able to contribute through his own uh, exercises to that programming, uh, not only here but nationally. He discovered while writing, that's what writers do, you know, that it's important to be able to, to work through things before you say them on stage. And in the process, he remembered the 21st, excuse me, he remembered rather December 1st, 2012, where he had attempted to take his life, largely relatable to a breakup with a relationship with a woman for seven years. Going from woman to woman, uh, Paul, I want to ask you about your mother, because you did write elsewhere that she was a very hard woman, very harsh woman, and an angry woman. Uh, how did that set you in life? You know, that's, uh, that's a very interesting question. I, You know, part of me wants to say, you know, don't blame anyone else but yourself, because that's the, that's the way you, you fall off the wagon in any kind of recovery. But I will say that... Uh, it was very difficult growing up with this very um, charming, expressive, dramatic woman who was also very, very angry. So there was there were emotional explosions every day at home, and it was mostly just me and her. My, you know, she'd driven my father away uh, years, you know, after a few years of marriage. So it was just me and her, and there would be just screaming uh, every day, and there was. There was no one to get in between me and her. There was no, there was no one. To, <laughs> I remember as a child, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, thinking, "Will somebody please save me? Will somebody just steal me?" 
could I please be kidnapped away from this madness? <laughs> because nobody, none of my friends' mothers were this volcanic. But she was also so funny and so charming. She was an actress, and everyone outside the house loved her. Ah, uh, well, was, you get equal doses was, of creativity and uh, and uh, perhaps emotional irregularity, shall we say, uh, with yeah. with creative people very often. So, but I yes, mean, she's she's yes. a main contributor to to who you've become uh, in a sense. Is your mother still alive, and do you have a relationship with her? No, she died when I was uh, seventeen years old. It was okay. my last year of high school, so I kind of couch surf uh, with different places until I graduated from high school. But I do remember feeling, having really mixed feelings when she died because mm. part of me was, was sad because my mom just died. But part of me felt this tremendous relief. Like yes. no one's, no one's going to beat me up anymore every yes. single day. No one's going to call me a shit. No one's going to call me worthless. No one's going to get angry at me for bringing home five A's and one B. You know, there was, um, it was so so difficult to please her and and I, now i understand i've done a lot more reading i know about the uh, um the ace scores and about childhood trauma mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. and i i actually you know i've actually come to a lot more forgiveness for my mother i know how difficult it must have been to be a single parent raising a, a, a boy in alaska when she was she was a new york jew she didn't know anything about alaska she didn't know you know and she was a woman in the 60s and 70s that's you know trying to make a living and raise a kid all these things very difficult for her for those who are struggling with ideas of well self-demise killing themselves what advice would you have for them there's a, a lot of advice to give not all, not all of it works for everyone but for me the main thing is to reach out and say it to someone use your words Either write it or speak it to someone. Don't be afraid to find a therapist. Don't be afraid to find a support group. The thing that saved me is connecting with other people who have similar experience, lived experience. To just know, even though you don't believe it, know that you are not alone. There are people you are standing next to right now. There are people that you are working with in the next cubicle over, who have the exact same experience, but no one's talking about it. So we can't help each other. We can't commiserate and say, me too. Oh my God, I went through that too. You're a freak. I'm a freak too. Well, the more, the more people you find that have that same experience, you realize we're not freaks. We're normal. This, is, this happens all the time. Paul Currington has been our guest. He's a storyteller and he has a storytelling production that he does with a workshop included uh, in the wonderful city of Seattle, Washington, a glorious city. I've been there. I love it. And he's been talking about his own experience and battle with suicide. And fortunately, he was not successful at one time in his attempt to take his life, for which he and everyone who knows him is extremely, extremely happy about and glad to know. Well, in the words of Burton Cummings, I have to tell you, Paul, you stood tall. And we're so grateful to have you on the show. And we wish you well in your future. Many blessings. Thank you so much. Take care. This is Watching America from WHRV.